So glad that you are here. Pastor Todd mentioned uh, giving. Uh, if you uh, have never used it, we have a church app. You can just look up Calvary Baptist uh, Church Stanton uh, in your uh, iTunes store, your app store, and you can get our app, and on there is a place where you can give online if you'd like. We're, we're a little bit more informal today because uh, everything's going on. We, we've never quite done it this way, as I said earlier. Uh, so I uh, thought we'd just pull out a, a little chair here, a little stool, and I'd sit behind this. I, I walk a lot when I, when I preach. If you've, you're tuning in, you've never maybe uh, been part of uh, one of our services or heard me. They put a carpet up here to keep me contained within the camera shot even. Uh, it, but I have a fit, fitness uh, watch on, and every Sunday I walk about between one and two miles while I'm preaching. So uh, it, we're going to have a good time today. This is a little different, as I said, a little more uh, uh, things we're not used to. But we're, we're in the middle of, of what they're calling a pandemic. And uh, as, as Pastor Todd mentioned, it's, it's, uh, it's different than anything any of us probably have ever been through before. And so we are taking extraordinary measures uh, today uh, for the protection of, of others and, and for everyone. An emergency like this, I, it, it brings out my... I call it my split personality. I, I hope I don't actually have that. But, but, uh, but, but in that, um, outwardly I try to stay calm, but inwardly I do panic. My, my nature is to worry and, and to panic a little bit. So, so on one hand, I try to stay calm. Everything's going to be all right. But inside I'm going, no, it's not. I'm really scared as well. But I, I'm actually not scared. I, I'm, not, I'm not worried. I, I'm not panicking uh, because... Uh, if I am actually not worried, it just means I don't fully comprehend the situation, you know. I don't realize what's actually going on, and, and I'm afraid there are a lot of people like that. There are a lot of people today, because of this, this uh, particular illness going around, uh, they're worried, they're scared. They, they may even feel up to that level that we would say panic. Uh, I, I'm not panicked. I really am not. Um, uh, the Bible says one, in Psalm 139 that the day of my death was written down before I was ever even conceived. So uh, nothing's going to take me out early, and nothing's going to keep me here past that date anyway. But uh, I don't want to be sick in the meantime. So we're, we're trying to just keep people from, uh, from, from feeling bad uh, in the meantime. And, uh, and actually, when we, we made this decision late in the week, and I had another sermon prepared, and not because of the subject matter necessarily, even though I think that, that might be an important part of it, but, uh, but, but also because we're in the middle of a series in, in the book of James, and, and I wanted to wait till we could all be together again to talk about that, I said, I need to come up with a, a different sermon. So uh, I began that process yesterday, and at 3 this morning I was still working on it. Figured I better get a few hours sleep before we came in. And so we're here, and so if you have a Bible there with you at home, uh, and I hope you do, you can open it to the book of First Peter. This is a book written by the Apostle Peter. And, 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 and in reality, this book is written in a similar situation in that there was a lot going on. And in the first version, we will see that Peter is writing to people who have been spread out, that they've been forced out of their homes. They've had to go places that maybe they did not want to go, uh, uh, and they're under some tribulation, some persecution. And so we're not really in tribulation yet. We're not, we're not, there, there's people sick, and I know they're going through a lot. But uh, for most of us, we, we're okay. There's, there's, there's no panic yet. But it can come. And, and what do we do in a situation like this? I, I'm calling this uh, calmness or peace uh, in chaos. But 
the reality is um, we're not yet in chaos. And I should have said peace and comfort or hope when there is chaos. And if we're in the midst of chaos, that doesn't mean there has to be chaos in our heart if we know Christ. And that's really the, the key, the answer. Because those who know Christ, we are confident. We know where we're going. We know who is uh, in charge of everything. We know uh, who's in charge of our life. And so we don't have a reason to panic. We don't have a reason to worry. Now, again, human nature kicks in there, and sometimes we do. But, but we don't have to do that. And so today, if you find yourself in chaos, remember Jesus is in control. I, I think of him in the boat when they're trying to cross the Sea of Galilee and the storm arose and, and the disciples are worried and they're trying to bail water out of the boat and Jesus is asleep. And they go wake him up, say, don't you care that we perish? And he got up and calmed the wind and the waves. And he said, why were you worried? And I heard a guy recently say, how big of a storm does it take to sink the boat Jesus is riding in? And if you think about it, our bodies are like that. The Holy Spirit lives in the believer and in the church. And so the church has no reason to panic, has no reason to worry, because we know who's in control, we know who our God is, and we know what he can do. I'm going to read the first nine verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. And again, I hope you can follow along with me. I'm reading out the English Standard Version Bible, so if yours is different, it may sound a little different. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Will you pause for a moment? Let's pray to God together. Father God, in Jesus' name, we pray that uh, the, the words that we read here in your scripture would be burned into our heart, they'd be revealed to our understanding, and God, may our will be activated to obey your word to us today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know, when I look at this, I, I think of three things. First of all, I look at where we stand. Peter, this is the Apostle Peter, as I said, of Jesus Christ. And notice to whom he writes, where they are standing. They are the elect. And then there's this long phrase that says where they are. They're exiles of the dispersion. And it names all these places that I'm afraid I couldn't pronounce if I tried to do it twice. And then 
he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so those are believers. The elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father is a long sentence, meaning those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's written to those who stand in the grace of God. Now, there are some people think everybody stands in the grace of God. To some extent, they're right. There is general grace is what we call it. That means that God doesn't uh, only cause rain to fall on a Christian's farm and doesn't let rain fall on a non-believer's farm. He lets the rain fall on everyone. Food is for everyone. Air is for everyone. Sunshine is for everyone. We call that common grace. Everybody has that grace from God. Because, you know, even Christians don't think about the fact that every time my heart beats and every time I breathe in and out and this virus is a pneumonia, it does affect your ability to breathe. But every breath I take is a gift from God. So moment by moment, millisecond by millisecond, I am dependent upon the grace of God. But there is a special grace, and the special grace is that grace for salvation. You and I cannot save ourselves. There's just, there's no way. We all know that. Uh, we, we as, as Pastor Todd was mentioning, something like this makes us realize we're not really in control here. Uh, we, we can do some things to help uh, help ourselves, but we really can't control some events. And, and so it takes a special grace for us to know Christ. God has to give that to us, and he does that by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did for us. And so when Peter is writing, he's writing to those who are believers. Now, if you're not a believer today, I would encourage you before I'm even done that you would come to Christ and say, listen, I know that I don't trust you already. I don't believe in you but today I want to, and, and I want to give my life over to you. I want to live for you, and, and it's the greatest thing you can do. So I, I pray that you'll become part of the elect before we're even done today. But then he goes on, not only to say, like, who they are, but notice the next thing he says, sanctified, or in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, sanctification is a good Bible word. It's a big word. Maybe in your church they talk about it a lot, or you've heard that before. But sanctification, it means to set apart, to cut it out. I, when I was a kid, I used to like to watch, you know, uh, like Gene Autry or, or uh, Will Ro uh, uh, Roy Rogers. Sorry, I say Will Rogers. Roy Rogers. Uh, maybe the old Clint Eastwood, you know, Rawhide. And uh, I always liked that stuff. I wanted to, man, I would love to have had a horse. And, and it, it was always interesting when it came branding time, which really looks like it hurts to me. But they would, what would happen is, you know, cows do what cows do, and there would be a new cow born, and they got to brand it to make sure everybody knows who owns it. And so they'd ride in on those quarter horses, and they would cut that, that cow out of the herd. Now, I won't even use cowboy language because I'm not a cowboy, and some cowboy might get mad at me, but I, I get the general principle. You get that little calf out of, the, out of the herd. He's there with his mom. He's there with the herd. And so they'd ride in with that horse, and that quarter horse would cut that, help cut that cow out, and they would rope it and bring it to the ground, and they'd take that brand and they'd brand that cow. And that mark on there said who the owner was. That's what sanctification is. God has branded the believer. He has given us his seal. We are separated from the herd that we call the world and been branded for Jesus Christ. We are different. And sanctification is being made holy as we progress. It's the same root word as holy. So sanctification is holiness that God is bringing into our life. Because again, without Christ, you and I are hopelessly lost. We are without hope. And today, 
I want to encourage you, there is hope. There's hope in Christ. But for Christ to come and give you that hope, He's going to become your master, your Lord. He's going to own you. You, you become His servant, your slave. But it's okay. When He puts His brand on you, it doesn't hurt like it looks like it hurts with that hot brand on the skin. But it does cause our death. Spiritually, we have died with Christ, and He raises us to a new life. So the life we live on this earth is a new life that He has given us. And that is a life by faith. Faith is not blind belief. Faith is trusting in what God said he would do and has done. And that's what Peter's talking about here in this first chapter, over and over. He talks about the faith, which is the belief in, in system that we have in Scripture, what God has done, and we believe in this thing. But faith and the, is also my personal belief and trust in what God has done. Notice the third thing there. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. In other words, we're not saved just so we get some kind of fire insurance. So, you know, I'm going to miss hell and I'm going to heaven and then that's great and that's all it means. In fact, I think we've cheapened the message of the Bible when all we talk about is whether you're going to heaven or hell. I, I like that part. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to go to hell. Hell is not a place I want to go and I've made arrangements not to go there. But but the reality is that relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, that is the great thing. That is what is so amazing. Heaven is not, you know, who's there and how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is. All that's true and it adds to it. But heaven is going to be just to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, no matter where that is and no matter what else is going on. And so here the Scripture says that we are obedient to Christ. In other words, we obey Him. We do what He commands because, as I said, He becomes our Master and Lord when we, when we come to Him for salvation. And if He's our Master and Lord, the only thing we can say is yes when He tells us to do something. When I was a kid, somebody said Christians ought to have yes, Lord, branded on their forehead because that is our only response to a God who created us who, after we fell, loved us enough to put on a body and come and die in our place on a cross that we could know him. And so the only answer we could give when he asked for something is yes. Yes, Lord. And so these are the people to whom Peter is writing, and, and I hope you're one of those people. I hope you know Christ. I hope that you already have that hope. And so Peter is also writing to you if, if that is true. But that is where that these people stand and where uh, we also need to stand. And so, I, I, our very first truth is that God has saved us by Jesus Christ and for this uh, through His foreknowledge, and He empowers us to live a life that is obedient to Christ and to His commands. That we're living a life that, that, uh, that He expected us to live. And so I want you to look at the second thing I see here, not only where we stand, but why we stand. In verses 3 through 5, it tells us this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Did you catch that? Look what he says there in the beginning. He's blessing God the Father. He's thanking God. He's grateful. We ought to have a lifestyle of gratefulness. We ought to always be grateful to God for salvation. And it says, according to His great mercy. You may not know the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. You see, the only thing I deserved was hell. 
The only contribution I make to salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And because of my sin, the only thing that I deserve, if God is fair, is hell. Because that's the rules he set up. You break my commandment, you die. And the Bible says all of us have broken his commandments. So we're all without hope outside of Christ. We are all headed to hell. But because of his mercy, he saves us. It's because he doesn't give us what we do deserve, and grace is giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve salvation because we are sinners, but that is what he gave us. And so we stand because God has shown his mercy. And notice what he says, it is a living hope. I I thought that phrase was interesting. Somewhere between midnight and three in the morning, I looked up what that meant. So I hope I got this right. I might have miswritten it. But that living hope, it means that it's not just a hopeless hope. You know, some people hope against hope. We even use that phrase, oh, we hoped against hope. In other words, we didn't really even have a hope. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it is an expectation. It's not a desperation. It's an expectation. It's saying, I know it's going to happen. In a sense, it's like saying, I hope the sun comes up in the east tomorrow. Well, you say, well, that's silly. Of course, if the day comes tomorrow, the sun will arise in the east. Exactly. That's how sure our hope is. He has given us a hope for something we haven't seen before because I haven't gone to heaven. I haven't seen it with my physical eyes, but he came from heaven so we could see him. And our hope is alive. And the secondary or, or another way I want you to understand that is It's a living hope in that it is active constantly in our life. It's not just an object like this bottle of water that I'm sipping from. It's not just, oh, there is a bottle of water and there's my hope. No, it's a hope that is alive. It's animated. It's not inanimate. It is animated. It's moving. It's constantly creating hope within us because we know him and we know where we're headed. So if you're in a panic today... And you're not a Christian, I have good news for you. But if you are a Christian, our hope is, it's a live hope. Listen, if this virus killed me, great. Paul said, to die is gain. To live, to live is to live for Christ. And so, even in the midst of facing possible death, the Christian has such hope, it can see him through. But then, man, this really caught my attention. Notice what it says. We, our hope is in an inheritance. You see, if Jesus has caused us to be adopted into God's family and we are his children, then we get an inheritance. And the Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ. In other words, we get what Jesus gets. We are joint heirs, not sub-heirs. We don't, Jesus doesn't get the lion's share and then he gives us the leftovers. He gives us that eternal life. You say, well, Jesus didn't need eternal life. He came as a man. And he had to trust that God was going to raise him from the dead and save him, just except he didn't have sin to be saved from. But the Bible lets us know he took our sin upon himself. And by taking it to the cross and dying for it, he fulfilled the requirement of the law that death was given for my sin, for your sin, for all of our sins, and that God would raise him from the dead. And so now... He is inherited, and if you read Acts 2, you'll see there, he received what was promised from the Father. And it says, now he has given that to us. He received the the exercise of giving the Holy Spirit to, to the believer. And we are saved through the Holy Spirit. So if Christ 
has been given the third person of the Trinity as he was subject to the Father, the Spirit is subject to him, then he gives us what raised him from the dead. The same thing, which is not a thing, it's a person. The person, the Bible says in, in Romans 8 that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead tells us, and, and in Hebrews, that, that he gave himself by that Spirit. He was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. And by that Spirit, he saves us. And so we are joint heirs with him. But notice the characteristics of that inheritance. First, it's imperishable. So I, I looked at these words. That word, if you're using King James, says incorruptible. But imperishable, to perish means not to die, but to decay. You've been around fruit that's sat there too long and it begins to decay. I, I don't want to be too graphic or gross, but if, if an animal or a person dies and nothing is done to, to care for that body that no longer has life in it, it begins to decay, and you know the results of all that. And I, I don't want to be too graphic, but the Bible says this inheritance doesn't ever suffer decay. You see, that goes against the natural laws that God set up. All matter that you and I can see, uh, this auditorium I'm sitting in, this chair I'm trying to sit on, I keep slipping off, but this chair that I'm trying to sit on, uh, this table uh, that is in front of me, all this is going to decay. It's going to rust. It's going to fall apart. Termites will eat it. It'll, if you just leave it sitting here long enough, it keeps breaking down. But not our salvation. Not what God has given us. His inheritance never suffers decay. Not only is it incorruptible, but notice the next word. It is, or imperishable, it is undefiled. Undefiled. That word defiled means dirty. So this is not dirty. It is not unclean. This is a pure inheritance. There's no filth on it. There's no marring of it. There's nothing wrong with it. You ever gotten a new possession and you're so careful? I, I, this Bible I'm using this morning, and I, I'm 60, and so my eyes are getting where I need a little bit bigger print. So I got a bigger print Bible. So it's brand new, man. This, I've, I've only used this, this second time, really. So it's very beautiful. It's brand new. It's so nice. And so I, guess what? I go back, and I put it back in its box, and it just sits there. And, and nothing happens to it because I don't want it to get messed up. But there's coming a day, I, I hope, where this Bible is going to be ragged and torn, and uh, I don't want it to get torn, but it's going to be used where it's not so beautiful anymore. That's the natural order of things. And so we get something new, and we want to keep it pristine. But somewhere, you get a new car, you know, oh, I want to keep it so clean. That lasts about a week, you know. For me, it lasts about two days. But I, I heard tell of a rich man who went and bought a new car, and and he paid cash, and they handed him the key, and he walked over to the car, and he just ran the key downside, scratched it. And they said, what are you doing? He said, it's going to get messed up. I wanted to be the first one to mess it up. God didn't drove it off. Well, I, I think that's crazy. That may not have ever actually happened, but, but I was told that story once. But, but this inheritance, it's undefiled. Nothing can lessen it. Nothing can mess it up. Nothing can cause it to decay or to get dirty. And notice the last word there. It says not only uh, is it undefiled, not only uh, does it not decay, it's imperishable, but it is unfading. Unfading. You ever left a window open and the carpet in one spot faded or a chair or something like that and it, 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 the sunlight causes it to fade away? That word is a word that means temporary. It just slowly goes away. It's only temporary. Here's what most people don't, realize or think about 
Everything you can see is temporary. There are only three eternal things. God, God's word, the Bible, he said, not one, not this book, but what he said here is eternal. And the souls of men. Even if you're lost, when the Bible says you will die, it doesn't mean that you will cease to exist or lose consciousness. What it means is you will live forever in a place called hell. You will be eternally dying. But for the believer, we are eternally living. And so this never goes away. This, this inheritance lives forever. It is not temporary. There are people who believe you can be saved and lose your salvation. I, I feel a little sorry for you if that's what you believe, because that's not what the Bible teaches. There's only one verse anybody goes to to tell me that. But what that verse says is, if you could be lost, there remains no hope. Because if God's sacrifice in Christ is not enough to save you from now for eternity, then there's nothing that can. And so our hope is eternal. It never dies. It never decays. And it never gets dirty. That is why we can stand. And then, so the second truth I want you to get is that salvation is forever. Salvation is for an eternity. And it's undefiled. It never fades. It never gets old. And then I want you to see a third thing. How we stand. Where we stand. Why we stand. But So how does that practically work out in our life? Well, beginning down in verse 6, it says, Who by God's power... And by the way, notice the last phrase of verse 5. That inheritance is kept in heaven, guarded there for you. Kept in heaven for you. And verse uh, uh, 5, he goes on to say, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. And then he goes on to explain how that salvation is revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice for a little while if necessary. You've been grieved by various trials. And that's where, we're at, where we are. Today across America, many churches have done what we're doing. They, they said, well, we won't gather as a group. and They're, they're online. There's, there's probably tons of uh, places that are using Facebook to broadcast their, their, uh, their service. And this is a first for us. So if you're with us, man, I really, again, I appreciate that. But, but, he, but he says there's coming a day where our salvation will be fully revealed. The word revelation or revealed means to expose what was hidden. It, it, it Literally, the word means to take the lid off of it. You, you remember Christmas when you got that present? And boy, they used to be wrapped when you're a kid under the tree, and you'd pull them out and you'd shake them. And when you're a kid, you always go for the big thing, right? You always go for the big box. And sometimes the most expensive thing's in that little box, right? You don't know what's in it because it's in a box, and it's got wrapped in paper. And if you live with creative people... I heard somebody concreted one one time, put concrete all around it. They had to get a hammer to break into it to get to that present. But when you finally open that box, that's the word revelation. It means to expose what was hidden. And notice here in this verse, it says there is coming a revelation of our salvation. In other words, you and I can't see it all. We know it's there. We, we know something about it, but we haven't seen the full power of that salvation yet. Because right now we're grieved by trials. We have eyes of flesh. We live in a fallen world. We have diseases. We have sicknesses. We have problems. But look at verse 7. But those trials come to test the genuineness of your faith. If you require God to make everything smooth and easy for you, that is not the God of the salvation, salvation that's in the Bible. The God of salvation is a God that allows testing in our life, and it says to prove the genuineness of our faith. In other words, it, it, it's... 
Well, maybe you're married that are watching me. Maybe you're engaged or in what we call a relationship. We have a relationship of, of attraction with someone, and you're hoping that one day it's going to result in something uh, like marriage or result in marriage. And, and, and maybe you've been a dater, and you know, at first, oh, it's all exciting, and then eventually it just gets old, and, and you kind of fall out of, of love. That, that's not what God is like. God doesn't cease to love us. He says it's only going to get better. You don't even know how good it's going to be yet. It's going to be revealed a little bit later on. And he says, so now you rejoice for a little while in these trials, but when your faith is tested, you know it's real. Those that have been married for a long time, been married 32 years, and listen, <laughs> I mess up a lot, and I have a forgiving wife. I thank God for that. And, and, and the genuineness of what we have is tested by trials, and it is proved true because we get through those trials. And so in this sickness, if you've already given up, if you've given up hope, if you're just scared to death, don't give up. In Christ, we have hope. In Christ, we know, even if I get sick, what does it matter? Job said, even if he slays me, yet will I trust him. We see the example in Daniel, three boys about to be thrown to a fiery furnace, and they look at the king and say, we, our God could deliver us if he wants to, but if he doesn't, we're, we're not going to do what you want us to do. We're going to do what God wants us to do. We have that kind of hope, that kind of bravery. It says, in fact, it says here, it's more precious than gold that is tested by fire. <laughs> Those three boys in Daniel, they were tested by fire. They came out on the top of it. Notice what it says. So it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, if we go through our trial when Christ comes back either for us or for all of us, it's going to re, there's going to be praise and glory and honor given to Christ because as we lived our life in this earth, Je, Jesus said something interesting in, in John chapter 16 and verse 33. He said, I said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. We have an overcoming Savior. And look here in verse 8. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. That's past tense. In the past, I didn't see him, but I loved him. There's a present tense here. It says, not only in the past, though you did, have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So in the past, I didn't see him, but I loved him. I am trusting him in the present, and though I don't see him, I believe him. And then it goes on. It says, but in the future, <laughs> there's also a future. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though you don't see him now, you believe, and in the future, it's going to be revealed. There it is. Obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. The outcome, the final outcome, is our salvation. That's in the future. Say, man, you're putting a lot of hope in that. I sure am. Uh, because the Bible tells us about it. Jesus is the living word. This is the written word of what Jesus told us. And he came from heaven to give it, this to us. But I'll, I'll tell you something about the Bible. 
Nobody's ever disproved one word out of it. There's nobody that's ever been able to accurately say that this is wrong in any point. And so if in points that we can test it's right, in points we may not be able to test, we ought to trust it. Jesus has come to us, and that was the test. He came from heaven to reveal God to us. And so the third truth I want you to get is that even though through our eyes of faith we could not see Christ, we don't see him now, but with the eyes of faith we can see the reality of who he is and we can see into the future with eyes of faith knowing that we will be saved. I look forward to the day when my eyes of flesh are replaced and my eyes of, I won't even need eyes of faith, that in my resurrected body I'll be able to behold the Lord and see the fullness of, of his salvation. Our faith will result in an eternity with Christ. And so we stand. Our faith is in the faith of what we read in the Bible. Well, what can you do this week while we're in the middle of all of this? First of all, you need to settle where you stand in Christ. If you're watching this or you're in here and you say, man, I've never had that kind of relationship with Christ, then today is your day. Now is your time. Today you can come to that faith in Christ. And all you have to do, it's easy to say, it's hard to actually do, is surrender your entire will to Him. Say, I give up, you can have it all. Whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll listen and I'll accomplish. I will be obedient to what you say. And you just turn your life over to Him and give Him control. Look at your life. You might have made a mess of it. And so I think He can do a better job with it anyway. Secondly, trust that your salvation in Christ is real. Though you can't see it. You, there's no way you can look at me and say, oh, I know that guy's saved. Look, you, you can tell because they always have this mark on them or this, you know, no. There, there's nothing like that. If you just look at me, you don't know if I'm saved or not. And, but it's real. It's more real than what you can see. And so you need to trust that not only is it real, but it's for eternity. And then thirdly, hope in Christ that one day you will see him. Hope only in him. Listen, this coronavirus is temporary. It's going to pass away. We're temporary. We're going to pass away, at least in this body we're in. But when we pass, we're going to be with him. What can we do in the middle of this panic that is, that is out there? First of all, know Christ. Second of all, pray to Christ. Talk to him. But then to, to thirdly, talk about him to others and minister to people. There are people in need. There are some people maybe going to get sick or some people that missed the rush on some supplies at the store and maybe you got too many. Share with others, help others, be with one another uh, where, it's, where you can and minister to people in need. What a time to live like Christ. He walked amongst the sick, the infirm, people in trouble and even walked amongst religious people who didn't even know they needed him. And he loved them, and he gave them the truth, the gospel, and he ministered to them. So let's be like Christ in the middle of this. Let's hope in him, and then let's live like him and talk about him to everybody we go. Would you pray with me one more time? And if you need to receive Christ, this would be a great opportunity to pray to him. Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray for everyone that heard this message. I pray, Lord, that, that what I said is, is what you wanted said, that the meditation of my mind, the words of my mouth were acceptable in your sight. And Lord, I pray for those who have been listening. Lord, if they need to know you, only you can tell them that. I can't tell them.